happening? Hands up if you watch uh, The Apprentice. Anybody watch that show? Yeah. Hands up if you've never heard of The Apprentice before. Okay, most folk have heard of it. Anyway, it's a reality TV show where generally obnoxious young people try to get £250,000 of money from business magnate Lord Sugar. Uh, and even if you've never seen it, there's been 17 series so far, and they all follow this pretty similar pattern where the candidates introduce themselves at the start, and it's fair to say that they do not lack confidence. Uh, first on the chopping block for this season, if you haven't watched it yet, well, there's going to be some spoilers here, so cover your ears if you like, was uh, Emma Brown who had the following to say about herself. I'm disgustingly compatible. I will go to absolutely any lengths, and I mean any. Oh, we need to, to get this bit. We need to get We're going to go back. We're going to go back. Here we go. I'm disgustingly compatible. I will go to absolutely any lengths, and I mean any, to win this investment. Disgustingly competitive. Any lengths she will go to to win. Uh, and she was tasked to sell, along with the other bunch of them, sell tickets to this holiday tour in Antigua. Uh, and it all came crashing down when, of course... Someone has to go. And I think what tops it all for me is disruption. And so, Emma, I'm sorry to say, you're fired. Thank you, Lord Schroeder. Oh, it's great TV. It's great TV. There, there is part of the appeal, of course, is seeing overconfident people getting their comeuppance. There's something nice about that, schadenfreude, really. I, I can be honest about it. That's is, that is the truth of it. That's why people love it. Now, over this Easter period, we've been reflecting on four voices and their response to the events of the first Easter, which is really the key event of the Christian faith, the very culmination of God's plan to fix this broken world, his own perfect creation ruined first by our ancestors, and then all down through human history, including us, ruining the world with our selfishness and greed. And at Easter, Christians celebrate that God himself entered that creation. In the person of Jesus Christ, God in human form, submitted himself to torture and death to pay the price for our mistakes and inaugurate a new period in the history of the world by rising bodily from the dead and beginning to set the world back on track toward a time when all things will be made new again and everything will be perfect once again. Perfect world, ruined world, perfect world. We're not there yet, but that's where we're heading and Easter is that point, that low point, the death and resurrection of Christ. And we've been celebrating that in our songs even this morning uh, and we've been thinking about people's responses through our Good Friday event. And I want to continue that theme this morning by looking at just one guy, the guy fourth along, Peter chap called Peter. Now, usually we take a little section of the Bible and we look at it in detail, uh, but today we're going to jump around a wee bit uh, as we look through some of Peter's story as it's contained through uh, sections of the Bible. If you've got a blue Bible, you can pick that up, you can follow along. I will read out where the references are coming from. If you know how to find them, then do that. If you don't, then just watch the screen because all the stuff will be on there. Now, Peter, if you know about Peter, you know the Bible maybe, then he's a lot like Emma Brown that we just saw there. 2,000 years ago, Peter is a humble fisherman uh, and gives up his day job to become one of 12 apprentices, or to use the Bible's word, disciples, followers. But these apprentices aren't following a business leader, but Jesus of Nazareth, who they understand to be son of God in human form. And Peter is quite like Emma Brown and Laura Sugar's apprentices. He is loud, he is self-confident, and he is not shy about putting himself forward. 
And it's all going pretty well for Jesus and his disciples to begin with. In fact, they are, they are kind of absolute rock stars of first century Israel. They're smashing the patriarchy. They are standing up for injustice and equality. Yeah, whoop, powerful advocates for the poor, speaking truth to power. They are all over first century social media, all over the news. But as events are reaching their climax, Jesus makes this surprising prediction. You will, oh, he's speaking to his apprentices here, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is picking up on a 500-year-old promise given to the Jewish people, saying he is the fulfillment of that promise. He's saying, I am this promised shepherd that was promised 500 years ago. I'm that guy, and I'm going to be taken out. And when I am, my followers are going to scatter like scared sheep. Now, Peter, listening to this, gets exactly what Jesus means. He understands all that. And he takes some mild offense at that because Peter declares, very next verse, even if all fall away, I will not. But Jesus knows better and says, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Now you think, okay, Peter, hold your tongue. But no, he doubles down. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And if you know the Easter story, you'll know what happens. Jesus is on this collision course with the Jewish leaders who resent his popularity uh, and his message that calls out their hypocrisy. On the surface, appearing godly, but underneath filled with pride and greed. And the people absolutely love it. They love him talking, out, uh, talking against these guys. But the Jewish leaders, of course, hate it. And this collision happens on the Thursday evening of what we now call Holy Week, the week leading up to now, Easter Sunday. And this is Thursday evening uh, on Holy Week. And Jesus makes this prediction and is finally arrested by the Jewish leaders to be put on trial the very next day, Good Friday. Uh, and it's on that Good Friday that Peter falls flat. Less than 24 hours before getting in front of the camera and saying how he's going to win The Apprentice, we read this in Luke's account. You can find this, Luke twenty-two fifty-five, if you like. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, you're also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him. He's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Don't need that bit. It's no accident that the Bible records that the first person that Peter makes his denial to is a servant girl young female servants being the absolute lowest of the low at that time. So insignificant in society, they, didn't, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court as if they didn't really exist. And even to that, a total and utter nobody of the time, Peter makes his first denial. To such a person, Peter lies to save face. It is total and utter failure. He's talked to him, I will never disown you, Lord. And the very first opportunity to the lowest of the low, he falls flat on his face. His huge pride has led to a huge fall. 
But things get worse. Jesus, now totally deserted, is tortured, killed, crucified later that same day on the Friday, hastily shoved in a borrowed tomb outside the city. Friday night, sealed up with a giant stone, no one in, and certainly no one getting out. Now let's pause here and think a little bit about how Peter is feeling. And it doesn't take much to imagine how he's feeling. I think Emma Brown has a bit of a sense of it, seeing in front of millions of people how she's going to win The Apprentice and 60 minutes of TV time later, flat on her face, humiliated. Now, failing not only to win, but not in the get out the gate. And Peter, of course, not in some kind of game show where the worst that happens is, is sort of public scorn or social media ridicule. With his denial, it looks like events spiral out of control. Jesus is arrested, tortured, murdered, as he just watches on, mute. And I want to ask you, if you're a Christian here this morning, have you felt that sense of failure as you have tried to follow Jesus? You're supposed to be a follower of God, living with his priorities, living with love and compassion that Jesus showed, a desire to live morally, to put others above yourself, to live in such a countercultural way that the way you go about your ordinary life should be so radically transformed by Jesus and his priorities that people can't help but look at you and say, what is so different about you? Is that your experience of following Jesus? Is that what it's like following Jesus if you're a Christian here? Or is your experience more like that of Peter's and more like that of mine, total and utter failure? Anger that just comes out of nowhere. Something pretty minor happens. You feel like you're totally fine. Something pretty minor happens and you feel that snap of rage. Maybe you've got a lazy disinterest in the things of God. You'd rather just kind of tune out, watch TV, TikTok, whatever, than make time for others or make time for God. Marriage, relationships, damaged, broken. And maybe you can see deep down that you were a part of that or the whole of that. Fear of what others think. So strong that how you see yourself comparing to other people dictates how you feel. When I'm doing better compared to her, I'm winning at life. When I'm not as good as him, I hate myself. Greed, that when you want to trust in God, but when the opportunity comes to get that little bit more money uh, or that little promotion, that means you have to just embellish something a little bit or just push down the qualities of somebody else just a little bit so that you can get ahead, you can't help yourself but take that opportunity. Jealousy that gnaws away at you. Why don't I have what he's got? Why don't I have her job, his family, her looks, his partner, her kids? And that just consumes you quietly and turns you bitter toward God and others. Man, I can tell you, I have felt all those things in my life at one time or another. And when I stop and take stock of my efforts to follow Jesus, I'm, I'm ashamed is this the best you've got, Ian? Is this the best you can do? You're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. Is this what it's meant to look like? Hands up if you're a Christian here and you feel like you are winning the apprentice of following Jesus. Right, exactly. Well, Peter certainly didn't. Now, of course, maybe this morning you're not a Christian uh, and you don't care who about God's standards and living like Jesus because that's not what you're about. Well, let me ask you, how are you doing living up to your own standards? Maybe you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm, I'm all about kindness. I'm all about tolerance. Uh, and I'm, I'm, all about, I'm concerned about justice. Um, well, are you? Let's do a wee exercise here. Think to yourself, what are the guiding ethics 
the principles by which you live, that inform the way you treat others, that the way you do your work, the way you think the world works. What are those principles that you think are in place that, that make sense of the world and how you should live? And now for Christians, of course, that ought to be the things of God. But for non-Christians, have a moment, have a think. What are those things that I would say, these are my guiding principles in life? Got those in here? Right, let me ask you, does your calendar reflect that? If I looked at how you have spent your time over the last month, would I be able to see from your calendar that the values that you're living by are so important to you they affect the way you spend your time? Would kindness and tolerance shine brightly from how you organize your spare time? How about if I looked, this one's even harder, how about if I looked at your bank statements, right? Would equality for all spill out from your banking app? Would concern for justice be so obvious from the way that you use your paycheck? Are you living with such integrity that you'd be willing for your every thought and deed to be weighed up and scrutinized? Would you be willing to show every thought and deed here on the screen? Along with your, there we are, failing. There's your calendar. There's your bank. Would you be willing to have that there? Is it so transparent the way you live that your strong values sort of pour out in the way that you live your life? Well, I bet, and I don't know most of you, I bet no. I bet, just like us Christians, you would be pretty embarrassed at how little your values impact your life let alone your calendar and your wallet, but every area of your life. What I'm saying is, we are all failures. What I'm saying is, we can't even meet the low bar that we set for ourselves, let alone the standards that God has set for us. What happens next? Easter Saturday, Jesus had been killed the night before, Good Friday, sealed in a tomb, dead, stabbed in the side, 100% dead, dead. No question, he is dead. Put in the tomb, nothing happening. Easter Sunday, still nothing happening. Until some of Jesus' followers rush in to where Peter and the others are, saying they've seen Jesus back from the dead, alive. Later that Sunday evening, Jesus' apprentices are together, terrified of the Jewish leaders, uh, and Jesus appears among them, very much alive. Same thing happens a week again later, speaking to them, interacting with them. Peter, Peter and some of his uh, other uh, disciples decide to go back to their trade, fishermen, uh, and they go out one night to the lake uh, to fish where someone sees a figure on the shore and calls out, John, the person calls out, it's the Lord. They can see his figure on the shore, it's the Lord, says John. Let's look at this section together. If you've got a Bible, open it, John 21, 7, if you know where to find that. If not, have a look at the screen because it's going to be right here. Uh, so then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it and some bread. What's interesting here is the word for burning coals there is unusual and it's only found in one other place in the New Testament. And that is earlier in John's account of Peter's denial. There's this little sentence in John's account. This is what John says. Right after Peter makes his first denial of Jesus, he says this, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. 
Peter was also standing there with them, warm, standing with them, warming himself. Seems like an odd detail to record at the time of Peter's denial. But here's why. It's no accident that John records that word and then uses it again later on the shore here. It's no accident that Jesus sets up this little fire of burning charcoals for Peter. You can imagine him emerging from the sea, walking towards it, sees a little fire, smells the charcoal, remembers where was the last time that I saw a little fire of burning charcoals. It was right where I had uh, been denying Jesus. And of course, maybe Peter's hoping that Jesus has kind of forgotten all about that. Okay, well, Jesus is alive again, so great. We don't have to, you know, worry about all that denial stuff, Jesus. Let's just, you know, push that under the carpet. But let's read on. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It's one of these like awkward turtle moments, right, isn't it? So Peter, the total failure, is sitting there, and Jesus is here, as he predicted, back to life, really back to life. And clearly, Jesus remembers what he's done and hasn't forgotten the denial, and he set up this wee fire, this little burning fire, as a wee reminder, deliberately, to set the scene for Peter. Peter is now back in the boardroom. He has completely failed his task spectacularly, and now he's ready to get the tongue lashing. And in fact, he probably, probably wants it by now because there's that elephant in the room. Oh, just let's get it over with, Jesus, all right? I know I have failed. I'm ready. Let me have it. And that's what he's expecting. That's what he deserves. And what is it that he deserves? He deserves... You're fired. Right. But what does Jesus actually do? Well, let's read on. Keep reading. Look down your Bibles if you've got it open. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So the setting of Peter's denial, his failure, warming himself around this little fire, is not the place that he gets fired. It's the opposite. It's the setting of his renewal. A fresh start, a hope. Now, we don't have time to go into all the things that Jesus said. It's a very deep passage, the way he talks about lambs and shepherd and all that sort of stuff. But just notice the threes, if nothing else. Three times Peter denies Jesus before his death. Three times Jesus questions his commitment. And this isn't the end for Peter. In fact, it's just the beginning. He has a new task because three times Jesus tells him he must demonstrate his love in action. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Not... You're fired, but you're hired, you're hired, you're hired. Three times. Peter goes on to become this cornerstone, this pillar of the church. So we're right to ask, as we look through Peter's life, what changed? What happened to Peter? Well, the thing, the thing, the thing is, it's not Peter. Peter hasn't changed. He's still that total failure. He hasn't suddenly upped his game and turned into a super apprentice. Now, along, uh, again, more spoilers for this season of The Apprentice. Along with Emma Brown, there's two other folk in the boardroom, in the bottom three of that first task. On the left here is Marnie Swindles, who is told by Lord Sugar, you are not a glowing example of the caliber of candidate I expect in the process. 
or something like that. It sounds more, that's more like uh, an Italian job. Uh, Michael Caine. It's not, not like Alan Sugar. Sorry, yeah. Uh, anyway, he's saying to her, look, pull your socks up, right, or you guys are next. You've escaped by the skin of your teeth. Um, uh, and the show goes on. And in fact, the show goes on, uh, and Marnie here on the left goes on to win in the end. So if you haven't watched it, well, you don't need to know. Um, <laughs> there she is. She's got some kind of uh, boxing business that she sets up with Lord Sugar. That's an awkward smile there on the right, isn't it? <laughs> All right. But this is not how Jesus does it, right? This is, he doesn't say to Peter, okay, Peter, you have absolutely blown it. When I really needed you, you absolutely let me down but I'm going to give you one last chance to do better, right? Pull your socks up, or this is it, you're out. That is not what Jesus does. Peter is the same guy, the same failure as before, but God is able to not only give him what he deserves, which is being fired, but he's able to give him, you're hired, hired, hired. No conditions attached, no shaming. Yeah, you're a failure, but I'm hiring you anyway. How is that? What is it that lets God say, you're hired to a failure like Peter and not, you're fired like he deserves? Well, the answer is Easter. Christ's death on the cross was not the end of the story. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't events spiraling out of control. It was the plan. The triumph of good over evil. And it's no less than Jesus himself predicted. Here he goes, Mark 9.31. You can look it up if you like. The Son of Man, he talks about himself in the third person. This is Jesus talking about himself. Me, the Son of Man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and in three days he will rise. He wasn't taken by surprise. Went willingly, knowing that this was required to put us right with God, to fix failures. It was necessary to clear the debt of every failure, every shred of guilt, every black mark racked up on your record, paid, once for all, dealt with, done. And not only the stuff in the past, when you look backwards, right? The price was so high, the payment price so high, it clears every debt for all time. God himself, sinless, without blemish, without a hint of failure, perfect, gives himself to death on our behalf a price so precious, it clears every debt you will ever rack up, all those in the past, all those that are on your record at the moment, and all those that you're going to chalk up, dealt with forever. And it's his resurrection back to life that declares us righteous before God, makes us useful in his service, despite our failings. That debt cleared in mercy and a fresh start in grace. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that turns failures into hope for Peter. And that is the same hope for anyone who's a failure here today. So, there is hope for you this morning. Do you feel weak? Do you feel like a failure? Well, hallelujah, because that is who God is calling to be a part of his family. Who better than to feed the weak and immature lambs than those like Peter and like us who are weak and immature? Who better to care for the wayward sheep than those like Peter and like us who have been wayward? Who better to strengthen other followers than those like Peter and like us who know only too well 
our own weaknesses. In a wonderful way, God uses even our experiences of failure so that we might be more effective in his service. If you belong to him, he is not finished with you yet. Because of the resurrection, there is hope for you. God isn't some kind of Alan Sugar figure either, using us up while we're useful to him and discarding us, kicking us out, or exploiting us for his own gain. We're not just hired, we're loved. Through Christ, we're made God's friends, part of his family, adopted, precious. You see why now we call it Good Friday? Even though it's a day of darkness and death, it's good because it had to happen to bring us back to God, to pay for our failures. And God proved it by raising Jesus back to life, bringing fresh hope to Peter's and fresh hope to you and to me. And that's why we call it Good Friday. Amen. Amen. Now, people these days act as though the resurrection doesn't matter, as if the events, it doesn't matter whether they were real or not. Like, Jesus can just be like a good example. You can all kind of follow him and it doesn't even matter if he was a real person. It certainly didn't matter if he rose, to the, rose from the dead. Well, that is absolute, total rubbish. Absolute garbage. The Bible itself says the precise opposite. Written by an apostle, the Apostle Paul, contemporary Jesus. You can look this up if you like. This is 1 Corinthians 15. We read it, John mentioned some of it this morning. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. We've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also, those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, of all people, are to be most pitied. The resurrection is the hinge on which all events of the entire history of the world hinge. All events leading up to it resurrection. All events from it find their purpose and meaning. Without the resurrection, Peter is a total failure, fishing in his guilt, shame, back to his old life, totally useless. Without the resurrection, Peter is still fired. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are dead in our sins. My preaching is completely useless. Your faith is completely pointless. And we are to be pitied above all people. This entire enterprise of this church is a total waste of time. And we are to be pitied above all people for our gullible stupidity. That's what Paul says. But I've got good news for you this morning because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. That is the proof that his sacrifice was acceptable, powerful enough to atone for all our failures, to fix the brokenness and restore us to God. Folks, this is our hope this morning, not just for Peter, but for us, for anybody. Failures can be forgiven, shame can be washed clean, and guilt can be wiped away. We can be useful in the service of God. John, why don't you and the guys come back up and we'll, we'll sing something to celebrate that. This is why Christians can say Happy Easter, right? We say Happy Easter, because this is something worth celebrating. This is the good news. So let's sing that now. Thanks, John. Let's stand together. <laughs> 